up and welcome back to the TCP Podcast. This is Tyler Clark with TC Performance and I appreciate you guys for tuning back in. Real quick, weekly reminder as you guys already know, please if you're not already, subscribe to this channel, subscribe to this show, like, review, give some sort of feedback, five stars, anything and everything that you can do with this show, with this podcast, on whichever platform you're listening to, it goes a long way and I appreciate it greatly. And make sure to share slash tell somebody else about this show. Again, appreciate you guys greatly for that. Now for this week, we got a little bit of a different uh, format for you. So instead of a single guest or just myself, um, we have a little bit of a table talk. So I had five guests on, six including myself, um, and they've all been a part of the show previously. um, Besides one of the guys that was on this actual episode, his name is Danny Metzer. um, And he goes over kind of his background, who he is at the beginning of this episode. So I'm not going to speak too much on him um, because he obviously introduces himself, but I will just say that the rest of the individuals a part of this show was Gabe Macias of Game Time Elite Training, Dario Sison, Martin Andrade, Coleman Ayers, Danny Metzer, and then myself. So all the individuals besides Danny Metzer um, have been on the show previously, so definitely go check out those episodes. Coleman's been on twice. Uh, Martin has been on very recently. Gabe was on, I forget, maybe season two. Um, And then Dario was also on. All phenomenal episodes, all great insight. Gabe is a skill development coach. Coleman is a mesh of performance and skill. Danny is a mesh of performance and skill. Uh, Martina is a mesh of performance and skill. And then Dario is a little bit more of the performance side, but he has a lot of knowledge whenever it comes to skill development and player development as well. Um, Just a little bit of a background on them. And then for the content of today's episode, some of the things that we talked about were psychological stressors and how it affects something like free throws. Danny brought this one up. That was the first topic that we talked about. Uh, We talked about alternative consequences to physical exertion, right? So in a practice or in a training session, Uh, as a consequence, quote unquote, rather than subscribing a sprint up and down or push-ups or something physically taxing, what are some other ways that we can basically provide a consequence for not getting the total number that you wanted or the desired outcome that you wanted or whatever the case may be, because it is a little outdated. So we talked about some alternatives there. Uh, We also talked about what exactly the it factor is in certain players. Like, Kobe Bryant, Michael Jordan, or LeBron James, or certain players that have that quote-unquote it factor. What exactly is that? Where does it come from? Where does it stem from? We dive into that. We dive into the psychology of that. And then lastly, we touched on different styles of basketball based on locations throughout the world, as well as the subcultures within those different areas of the world, which doesn't have to just be throughout the world. It can be within this country, right? So like the culture within Boston, the basketball culture over there is going to be a lot different than over in California or Los Angeles, for example. And the basketball culture in Los Angeles, California is going to be a lot different than the basketball culture in your way, South America. And then we kind of expand off of that and touch more on that and some other things throughout the entire show. So a lot of cool and interesting topics that I think that you guys will enjoy with some cool and obviously a lot of different input and a lot of different insights from five and six different people. So it was definitely cool to get everybody on a Zoom call to chop it up, to connect, talk about some cool topics. And I hope that you guys like this format. All right, what's up, everybody? And welcome back to the TCP podcast. This is Tyler Clark with TC Performance. And we got a whole lot of people on the show today. Uh, a little table talk for you. Real quick, I'm going to go down the line of who we got on this call. So we got Gabe Macias. Um, four of the five people on this call have been on the pod already. So Gabe, uh, Coleman Ayers, Bionamuse Basketball, uh, Martin Andrade, 
only about b-ball and then dario sison he's also been on the pod um all great episodes and then the last two that has not been on the podcast is danny metzer um danny real quick why don't you just introduce yourself and give the people a little bit about yourself yeah so i'm danny um dm who dm hoops on instagram um I am a student. I'm still a student at, at Quinnipiac University. Um, I'm a junior athletic training student. Um, I train, I run my own private practice, training basketball players, um, you know, doing both, you know, on court skill development and, um, and strength and conditioning and, and, and rehab. Um, and yeah, that's like my, my basic thing. That, and this dude is the uh, basketball scientist. If you need info info on analytics and basketball to a science, go check out his stuff. Um, but cool. Appreciate you introducing yourself. Um, everybody that hasn't heard the names before, go check out their episodes. All great episodes. All great professionals. Um, but let's start, Danny. Why don't you start us off? And today is not super structured. We just have some general topics that we're going to discuss. And I hope that you guys like this format. So, Danny, why don't you get us started? Yeah, so one thing that's been going on with with me is I I've noticed that the um so I, I go to Quinnipiac like I said and uh, the the men's basketball team is uh, struggling with with free throw shooting and, and one thing that I that I learned uh, after you know asking around um you know talking to talking to a few of the guys that I work with is that they yeah i was just kind of learning about like the general structure of their practice and and what what the day-to-day looks like so in season it's you know obviously we know it's a little bit tougher to um make drastic improvements um it is obviously doable but we just don't they don't have as much time and energy to to you know make adaptations and, and stuff like that um and so just asking around and they're telling me like, you know, when we go, we go to practice, we do like these things called daily vitamins. So we, we go already when they say that I'm like, that's probably the same monotonous stuff, you know, not really, not really deliberate practice, but okay, keep going. And then the next thing, you know, one of the guys uh, tells me is that, you know, we shoot a hundred free throws every practice and in my mind i'm thinking there is no possible way that those a hundred free throws are like are they first of all are they making a hundred are they are they attempting i didn't clarify that with them um but either way there's just no way that that those free throws are are super deliberate and um you know using variability trying to trying to incorporate um some pressure in there um which which we know will transfer better to games um even though free throw you know the free throw is a unique skill it's a you know it's a uh it's the only like closed skill in basketball um still i you know i i just find that i i found that really interesting um just considering they have so many other things to get to. Um, so I, I wanted to know your 
your guys' thoughts on, first of all, how you would approach like free throw shooting, like improving free throw shooting in general, because I feel like there, because it's a a close skill and, and people don't necessarily think that incorporating variability in free throw shooting practice would, would necessarily be beneficial for that reason. They're just doing the same thing um, all the time. Um, what, what you guys think about like how to, how to best improve it. I'll go. Whoever. <laughs> yeah, go, go I, I'll give, I'll give my short thoughts, just not take up too much time. I think it is a close skill, but with any close skill, we are going to have some variability from an internal state. Um, like every free throw you shoot, you're going to be thinking differently. You're going to be feeling differently from a fatigue standpoint. So at least internally, we're going to have variability, which I think is, or which justifies, in my opinion, including some variability from an external standpoint or from a task or environmental standpoint. So I think, you know, adjusting the length of the shot, even by a few inches or forcing them to step over a little bit to the left or right, just kind of sharpens that motor pattern in a way that doing it over and over again can't. Um, whereas like we, we think a lot about muscle memory and just kind of, you know, hammering, you know, I guess striking the hammer the same way every time. Um, whereas in reality, again, we're going to be in a different state every time we strike that hammer. Um, so incorporating variability, whether it is putting yourself in a different internal state, um, by maybe shooting a couple floaters before your free throw and then stepping back into your free throw. So you have to kind of switch in between motor ingrams and motor patterns whether that's getting yourself tired, whether that's putting yourself in a shitty mindset, whether that's putting yourself in a really confident mindset, I think at least some uh, style of variability should be included, not only just because it's good for any skill and the research shows that, but because when we do look at it, although it is a closed skill, there's always going to be some sort of variability, um, whether it's from an environmental standpoint and what we're seeing behind the basket and you know what's going on in our environment or from an internal standpoint, what's going on uh, within ourselves or in our mind. For sure. Um, just like some anecdotal stuff to kind of go off Cole. Obviously, I'm working with the college basketball team right now. And it's funny that you bring this up because we've struggled on and off with um, free throw shooting this year, um, specifically like crunch time and the guys that are playing more minutes. We actually tallied up um, like basically our starting five or I should say our top seven guys and basically just took however many shots they've made this year from the free throw line misses makes their their shooting percentage and everything so we're just trying to figure out who's shooting well who's not shooting well and um what we've tried to do in practice is implement some of that chaos some of that variability so whenever we're transitioning from drill to drill or whatever we're doing in practice what we'll do is we'll actually call out one of those seven or eight guys without them knowing this we're not going to tell them that and if we're transitioning from our warm-up to you know, something really, really intense right after that, we're going to call out, all right, Deshaun or all right, Jack, like go, go to the free throw line in front of everybody. Like if you don't make those two, it's like a teammate one-on-one, my our head coach calls it. They have to make both. Um, if they don't make both, they have to run a quick floor sprint, which is like you have to get up and down the court in 11 seconds. So it's putting that pressure on them without them knowing it while they're tired. And it's like the team is basically relying on you so they don't have to run. So I thought that was kind of an interesting um, anecdote for this specific topic. And in a team setting, obviously that's very applicable to what you're talking about, Danny. Um, But there's obviously a bunch of different ways. And I think that like Cole, you were saying, having some variability from an internal uh, standpoint, whether you're to the side or leaning back, like 
adding variability like that, or if you were adding psychological stress, like uh, Shay Frazy and I talked about this actually, um, adding different type of stressors, like different things like that to just make you prepared for a situation if you're down one and it's OT or whatever, like those, those are the kind of things that you're not preparing for if you're just putting up a hundred free throws with no type of stress or anything like that. So just a little bit of anecdotal right there. I also think like there's research that shows that even a little bit of pressure in a training setting uh, applies when there's like high amounts of pressure and I'll have to find the study. I have it on my computer, um, but applies when there are high amounts of pressure. So I think trying to find a way to make, even if it's not for a sprint, even if it's just an ego thing, like, trying to find some way, like you said, you're talking about Shay is like implementing even small amounts of pressure um, is way better than implementing no amounts of pressure. But I think sometimes we were like, you know, why would we implement it if it's not going to be the same amount of pressure that we would see in a game? Um, when in reality, it's like, you know, there is research that shows that even just a small amount will apply to when there's a large amount. So I think it's valuable just always be finding ways to put on that pressure and anxiety and stress into those, into those shots. Yeah, so, one one way that uh, oh my fault. Uh, one way that I uh, you know, add it in, into my practice or you know workouts is we have like a little whiteboard in our gym and we keep track of everyone's points. So like, if you win a drill, you get a point on the board and whatnot. And what I do is like randomly, like how you guys mentioned, you know, call someone up to shoot a free throw. I'll do the same thing, or you know, maybe someone gets fouled in a drill and I'm like, all right, go shoot a free throw. Um, and if they make it, you know, they can get a they can get a point on the board or actually if they make both they get two points on the board if they don't make they miss the first one because i give them one and one every time so it's like one and one if you miss the first one you don't get nothing you don't get anything and then if you make both you get your points or i'll do it like where i'll say all right if you um if you make these if you make both of them you can choose if you want to add two points to yourself or take away two from somebody else that might be ahead of you or you know i'll say you miss these free throws you just lose your points. You lose, you know, you can lose all your points or you can choose to take someone else's points. Like let's say someone has five points on the board. If you make both of your points, you get their five points. But if you miss them, you lose your five points or whatever, you know, however many points you have. So I do different things like that um, just to add some more pressure. Um, and another thing that I've done in the past, like to actually improve free throws myself, because when I was in high school, I was not a good free throw shooter. Um, and recently, well, I guess over the past few years, like I've, gotten a lot better um i mean i'm only playing a men's league game and stuff but when i go to the line and stuff i'll visualize myself making it and honestly like i i mean i don't have the actual stat but i honestly think i make like 90 percent of my free throws now just because i literally just picture myself hitting the shot before um i even shoot it and i know that's something that like we've talked about before like with visualiz visualization and stuff and that's something that we've uh, touched on a little bit but i try to do that stuff with my athletes too just tell them like okay um you know, when you're at the line, you know, if you're not hitting free throws or you're struggling with free throws, you take a deep breath, close your eyes, and just, like, envision yourself, like, actually hitting a free throw, too. And the kids come back to me and they tell me, you know, like, that helps a lot. And so they've been doing it in, in their free throw team. So I think that's something that can help out, you know, a lot of players and coaches. Yeah, one, one big thing for me when it comes to shooting in general is just getting players accustomed to – always having that internal battle of that self one versus self two. And like, for example, I have a couple of players, they'd be hitting 20, 30, 40 free throws in a row, but then they would go on and miss six, seven, eight in a row. 
which doesn't make sense. And that basically shows us that, that it's a battle in their mind that they're losing. So when I do any type of shooting, I always make sure to have that pressure with yourself and like a little bet going. So how many can you make of on this spot? And in my experience, that has helped my players a lot. Love it. I have another. Um, oh, Martin, go. Let's go. <laughs> um, something that I I do to recreate more pressure uh, during the, the workouts. It's um, for example, when they are I don't know like training skill shooting or I don't know floaters. Um, if they make uh the the number of points you know that I that I drill, that I, that I say to them, uh, they have to go to the free throw line and take two shots. Uh, if, I, if if they, for example, um, make both, they they won. They, they win the, that, that uh, specific uh, game. But um, if they, if they miss, uh, they lose, uh, they have to start again of, or they lose some points and, for example, if they have to reach five and they lose uh, both free throws, they have to start from three, you know, or two or do it again, you know. So sometimes I, I combine um, if they're doing something uh, that is uh, physical demanding, you know, uh, you got to run, you got to uh, change direction, you know. Um, I want to like let let them know that um if you miss this free throw you have to do this again you know so playing with a little bit you know with that so uh you recreate more more pressure i mean it's not the same pressure that you're going to face on a game um the only way i think to uh improve that is taking free throws in games uh that's the most realistic you know um obviously you can you can train that outside and you create you can create pressure but it's not the same you know um but yeah uh i try to do this uh to recreate a little uh uh pressure on them you know when they take a shot if i miss i gotta do it again um and yeah um, yeah, absolutely. Those are all um, great like ideas. I, I didn't want to cut you off, Dario. I don't know if you did. You have a. I, I wanted to uh, like add to that a little bit, like ask a question to you guys. So what what Martin touched on is uh, letting players experience consequences for not making shots, and to me, putting players through through physical uh, like stuff that is really hard on their body it doesn't make a whole, whole lot of sense um, as a punishment when they uh, fail a drill so do you guys have any other ways of letting them experience consequences for failure that will um, enhance the pressure that they feel during the workout uh, i was taking a class last semester on like coaching and there was we were using like basically the most like unorthodox ways to basically provide a consequence if you don't do something because 
I think that the adage of, you know, running or doing something physical is a little outdated because the whole psychological effect of that is not necessarily great. You're going to have a negative um, opinion on like missing a free throw. If you have to go sprint up and down the court every single time, like a whole lot of psychological aspects to that. But um, some of the things that we were talking about is like, if you miss this free throw, like you have to clean the entire gym right after practice or like something weird like that. Or I don't know if you have obviously your own gym, like <clears throat> you got to work the front desk at 6am tomorrow, like something weird like that, where it's not necessarily a physical consequence, but maybe more so like, damn, like I just don't want to be up at 6am and help out run this gym. Um, those were like some of the examples that we came up there, but there's plenty of things that you could do besides doing like a physical uh, consequence like running or a push-up or something like that yeah i think it's a tough topic i think it's more so about framing it um and then also like usually what i'll do if i do that is prescribe like less volume than i think is needed so if like if there's somebody you know let's say like we're doing a tough change of direction drill not that it's like necessarily fatiguing but it's like a difficult drill that challenges them and i think that like you know, eight changes of direction is like the max I want to get there. I'll stop at five and then potentially have them shoot that free throw. Um, and then have to go and do those other three. So I'm kind of leaving like a, a buffer period or a buffer amount of reps where like, I know that it's not going over the top and overly stressing them. Um, and then I think it's just about framing, like with some players, you know, missing a free throw is, is already painful or stressful enough in themselves. Cause they just, they're always competing with themselves most players that we work with from like a high school or middle school standpoint could care less if they miss a fucking free throw. Like they just, they don't care. Um, so I think it is tough, like, especially, you know, I've tried to do things where like, yeah, you know, you, you can't, uh, or, you know, things like TC was saying, um, where it's like, you, you have to stay afterwards and do whatever. Um, but then they're just like, yeah, my parents are there and you know, we got to go. So I think sometimes like, it is kind of a last resort, but it's really one of the only ways you can do it. And I think if you frame it, you're not necessarily developing a negative relationship. If you make it like a, look, this is just a chat. Like we're going back to give you more reps. Like it's not, it's not going to, this isn't really a punishment. You may not want to do it. So it's, I don't know, it's kind of framing it and then finding what each athlete doesn't like and likes. Like some athletes I'll say, if you miss these free throws, we're going to cut off the last 10 minutes of the workout. You can't get better in these last 10 minutes. And then, you know, you may look at me and say, well, you know, you're taking away 10 minutes of the workout. Yeah. Some, there's going to have to be some give and take and push and pull that we're going to need. We're either going to need to add volume. We're either going to need to take away some of the time. We're either going to need to force it. Like that's the nature of a punishment. Um, I do think it's ideal to not have it be physical and have them stress too much. Um, but I do think that there's no pressure for athletes who don't put pressure on themselves um, without adding something that isn't and that isn't ideal. But it's that's why it's just such a tough situation, and I, that's why I think so many players suck at free throws is because it's damn near impossible to train without doing something, you know, out of the box or wrong or whatever it may be. Yeah, I, I think uh, with with all that being said, uh, you know what, you know with regard to like adding punishments and you know how it's traditionally done um you know where people add a you know a, a physical punishment it's it's especially not as feasible in season um yeah. so it's it, it you know it's just one of those things where 
um, it's it, it's it's especially hard to to change you know the the team percentage you know you're trying to trying to make uh, change on a on a wider scale um, in season. Um, it's just very it's very tough to do when um, the punishments that you can give are limited. However, I do think that um, just a simple workaround is what what if like because like the, these guys have never like used um like you know it, they've never like manipulated these uh task constraints and, and and environmental constraints when they're practicing their free throws from to my knowledge it's just it's basically like a hundred free throws like consecutively i mean i i don't know if they're breaking them up by 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 running it all too i no. but, but i've seen i've seen these guys shoot free throws um and and they seem to think that like more the you know if we hit the quantity we're doing everything we can and i just don't think it's being approached correctly um so, so i did want to i did want to bring that up um the you know the percentage hasn't the team percentage hasn't really improved um as the season ha has gone on despite them you know getting so many reps up so you so you have to think that like something would have to change um in order for them for, you know for, in, in order to really see um changes in 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 the outcome um i have a follow-up question that is somewhat related to Maybe psychology, depending on how you take it, probably. Um, I've been thinking a lot about, um, and Martin and I have conversations about this. I feel like I've talked to a few of you guys about it, but like, what is the like it factor with a player? Like, there's, we all know the the comparison of two players where one is equally skilled as the other, but one gets in the game and averages fucking 25 points a game and is a killer, you know, always shows up at the end of the game. The other one sticks on the bench, but, you know, in a workout, even, in a live setting, um, it looks the same, but then there's like an it factor in a game where it's just like, it's night and day. Um, so what do you guys think the it factor is? How can we develop it? Um, I'm just kind of looking for you guys' opinion, experiences, anything on on that. So what something that I've been noticing and that, that I have heard of is athletes starting on on different levels of excitement or arousal. So you got this curve and right in the middle, you, you got the perfect level of excitement where you perform your best. And if you, if you start here and you get too excited, you get stiff and you lose all your fluidity. Mm -hmm. If you're not excited enough, you also cannot perform. So me personally, I'm someone who struggles in training all the time, but as soon as game time come, like I'm there, I'm ready. I got all the adrenaline that I need. And to me, something that has that has helped my athletes is um, recognizing what type of person they are. And if there's someone who is always excited, really good in training, but then they um, mess up during games or they just their shots won't fall, then th that's someone that I would advise to learn how to calm down. And people who don't get excited at all, I would also like recommend a booster to them because it helps them get on, get ready for the game. Yeah. Yeah. I'm happy you mentioned that Dario, because I, an issue that, that I've 
had uh, as a player in the past is I I would get way too jittery um, during games. And uh, yeah, we do. We do only have 115 left. Um, way too jittery during games. Um, so an approach that, <laughs> that I, you know, came kind of came up with is like, I'll just, it's, it's interesting to see the, the difference between, you know, when Steph Curry warms up versus when LeBron warms up and just their body language and, and, and you know, the way that they kind of carry themselves during the warm up. like, you know, LeBron looks very serious, um, like, you know, very, very focused on like, um, you know, just, just got getting through the warm up and, and getting to the game, very serious body language where Steph is like laughing, like shooting crazy shots and stuff. And I realized like people can, can take from Steph's approach a little bit more. They don't have to take things uh, so seriously all the time. Um, e- even though it looks like that, you know, might not be a, a good approach because you still have to take the game seriously. Right. Anyway. So that's what I started doing uh, before games. Like I, I'll laugh and, and smile and not take take things too seriously um, because I've just found that I've I've put more pressure on myself uh, on on myself than I than I've needed to in the past. Um, and you know I'll I'll shoot I'll like do crazy stuff in layup lines like I'll I'll shoot like my one legged threes like I started doing that um, and yeah I just feel like that approach it, it could be really helpful for for more players because I I I tend to see um, maybe maybe I'm biased because I've been on the more like aroused side of the spectrum. Um, but I do think that like it's more common for, for players to be um, kind of su- surprised by that feeling, even though they've been doing it for so long um, and be on that side of the spectrum. Yeah. I think, yeah. I think setting the tone with like a warm up is super important. Um, but I think that it definitely goes back down into like, I mean, I, you could probably make a case that like <clears throat> genetics play a role. Um, but as far as like act like the structure of who you are as a basketball player and an athlete, I think that early childhood development and your experiences whenever you're younger are super important, even down to like how you interact with your parents and how they, you know what I mean, like empower you and how they raise you. Because if you grow up believing in yourself, you have an immense sense of belief that you can do whatever you want. You know what I mean? Like that you don't like you're not scared to fail. You're not you don't have an identity crisis. Those kind of things, which <clears throat> a lot of things happen in between when you're four years old and an 18 year old basketball. Like obviously, but I think that those kind of things are important because I think that whenever you have an immense sense of belief in yourself, that goes a really long way for basketball players and athletes in general. Because, like, do you think that Kobe Bryant thought that he was ever going to miss a shot? No, he's going to take 30 shots and still think that he's going to make the 31st one in a game. So I think belief in yourself is huge. It kind of goes back to like the, I mean, the excitement spectrum and kind of self one, self two that Dario mentioned earlier. Um, and probably, I mean, definitely veering more on that self two side, just believing and trusting in yourself. Um, but I think that that's more of a psychological thing. And then obviously 
the reps that you put in and all that kind of stuff. But I think belief in your, in yourself and believing that you're worthy of being that guy or being like having the it factor. I think that that goes like a really, really long way that is like, isn't intangible, but it's not necessarily something that you need to work on in the gym. It's just something that you need to work on up here. You guys, yeah. decision. Yeah. sorry, I, I didn't mean to cut you off, but do you guys think decision-making comes into play too? Um, like, or like what percentage of like that it factor is like decision-making, like having the perception to be able to do it. Cause obviously I'm very biased in the way, like that's how a lot of us train, but I, I also want to put it in perspective. Like, yes, the psychology is huge, but I also know players who, have shitty psychology and they still are fucking bucket because they can go and just make every read. It's like, how does that happen? And it may be decision-making, maybe something else. What do you guys think about that? I mean, it's a, it, yeah, go, go for it. Sorry. Like to me, uh, there's players who are just flat out athletic and that's why they dominate over mm -hmm. here in Europe. For and sure. then there's players who like they're built athletically but they're like, from a neurological standpoint, they're not as good as using the stretch shortening cycle and stuff like that. So they, they're just not wired to move athletically. But what they can do is like process the game at like a crazy high frame rate. Yeah. And that's that's why they and that that's their it factor and that's their superpower and that's why they dominate. So why do you guys? I guess the like I'm trying to think of the best way to articulate this. Like, how do you? Because not all these guys have grown up doing small-sided games or even playing as much. Like, how, Do you think it's a genetic thing, potentially, where these guys are just processing it at a crazy high frame rate? Like, What are the factors that come into play here? I was thinking about that, too. Um, yeah, I think genetics has, it uh, has to. really a big factor. I think you... I think, like, you're born with you know that talent you know uh maybe i don't know your generation before you i don't know your parents maybe they play sports or i don't know they move you know they did something um but you know yeah the, uh i train players that they didn't have that you know uh movement baggage from when they were kids but you know you 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 see them uh, playing and they have you know skills you know they move well the they react fast um it's i don't know yeah i train i tra i train a uh a guy uh still training him uh he only plays soccer for one year and he has like crazy talent like how he moves how he reads you know how he uh uh, evades people you know how he moves through people um you know i think that that's talent you know yeah no I th it, it's such a tough thing it's tough you know it was what's interesting that i was just thinking about because you mentioned soccer um i wonder like guys that played like dual sport athletes or just multiple sports obviously like physically they have a little bit more of like a movement library or like they can just move very well um, but I wonder if like playing more sports and seeing how people move, like perceptually picking up those kind of cues, I wonder if that provides any sort of advantage for like, if, if you played soccer, you played football, you played baseball, and then uh, ultimately you ended up playing basketball. I wonder if learning those kind of movement patterns and picking up on perceptual cues 
increases your ability to make decisions because you're so, you know what I mean? Like you understand how people move, which I understand it's not entirely contextual to basketball there, but I don't know. Maybe it's just you can pick up on perceptual cues a little bit better and you're a little bit yeah. quicker because you've played more sports, if that makes any sense. I don't know. No, I, I think we do discount or the industry can discount the the power of general transfer a little bit. Um, if not a lot, we're like, at the end of the day, human movement is human movement. And if you learn and get a ton of reps, um, and especially in different concepts and different variations of how humans move and anticipate and, and cut, like, I mean, you look at a lot of like invasion sports, they run pick and rolls essentially in like lacrosse, like there are similar concepts. And I think, you know, we discount the, you know, the whole idea these days, like, you need more reps of that thing, which is fair. Like Danny, like your post today, or yesterday, like if you do a thing, you will probably get a lot better at that said thing, but that is also dependent on a foundation of other things. So like you said, TC is not only the foundation of movement, but it's, it's the foundation of being able to perceive, you know, different cuts and different angles. Cause basketball is such a dynamic game where there's always new things happening. There are always new play concepts, like being able to adapt, comes from i believe a lot of that um so yeah i mean i would definitely definitely agree with the fact that it's not only a movement thing but it's also perceptual and, and just learning how to pick up on on um external cues as well i want to i want to add that i'm tyler i'm happy you mentioned um like playing multiple sports um and we you know we've already been talking about um like the mental side of things and i think that from from a psychological standpoint, like introducing these different sports, you're 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 also intro you're constantly like introducing um, challenges for people that they can potentially, um, you know, conquer and um, you know new um, new new problems in the game you know because eventually you you plateau as a basketball player we've all kind of experienced that and then we have to find creative ways to keep moving the needle um but with you know when you when you play multiple multiple sports especially as a kid you start introducing these new these new challenges those are um those are new opportunities to build that self-efficacy because when you when you do keep at a challenge for long enough and you and you you prove to yourself that that you can um beat that challenge um that's what that's what builds um kind of that self uh confidence and efficacy um and albert bandura you know a famous uh psychologist um, has like these four, he came up with like these four buckets of, of self-efficacy basically. And one of them is, um, past performance, past performance accomplishments. Um, and so it's, I think with, with basketball, with, with our training, we need to like stay, like keep a drill, um, in somebody's, um, workout, um, or plan. For long enough so that they can actually start to see improvement within that drill because if you're selecting the right drills um then you don't have a problem with doing that anyway um and that's what's going to build the self-efficacy if you just bounce from drill to drill they don't have a chance to prove to themselves that they can conquer those challenges 
Um, so I think, I think that that's a really big key when it comes to, um, you know, checking off that box. Um, and then also like, you know, we were talking about, uh, genetics and, and stuff like that. You know, the, the, one of the other buckets of, of building self-efficacy is, uh, persuasion. So either persuading to yourself that, you know, if you make them, if you make a mistake, it doesn't mean that you're bad at that, at that thing, whatever you're doing, uh, per se. Um, and also persuading yourself that like you're better than the competition. I mean, this is something that we see across the board with guys that are mentally strong in the, in the NBA and, and guys that we, that we perceive as, as very confident players. And then as a kid, when you're growing up, if you have people in your circle that also persuade you that you can overcome challenges and, um, that, that you are, um, that you are skilled and you can keep growing. Um, because I think that people have a lot of self-limiting beliefs that, that we, we aren't aware of until we actually have conversations with people and ask the right questions. Um, so I think those two buckets are, are really, really key. And I'm, I'm happy you brought up the, the sports and um, growing up as a kid. One quick thing I'll say, because I want to hear you guys' opinion on this. Uh, I think it will spark some conversation. Then I'll take a little bit of a break. Um, I think there are also like social and cultural dynamics at play in each sport. Like if you play soccer, you're playing with a different crowd than if you play basketball, than if you play football, than if you play lacrosse. Um, and I think being able to adapt to like the different type of people that you're on a team with or that you're working with um, just provides different like social or, you know, cultural, psychological problems. Um, so I'd be interested in you guys, maybe past experience, um, potentially working with players who have played other sports, but not, not maybe not from like a movement or a, or a perceptual standpoint or even psychological, but more so like a social, socio-cultural um, standpoint. Yeah, it's funny that you mentioned that because here in Austria, it's insane how different the types of sports are. Like let's say soccer and basketball is like two different worlds. Basically, I haven't met a single soccer player and I've trained quite a few soccer players that speaks English well. So if, I, if I'm if i training a soccer player, I have to, like, my I can only use German words. I cannot say, tuck your pelvis. I can say that to a basketball player. They will know what a pelvis is, but I cannot say that to the soccer player. And it's like... I've always wondered this, Dario. Sorry to interrupt you. Do you train your athletes in English or, or in German? I uh, in German, in German. Okay, that's but, it. Which, it, but you it, use it, English oh, words. So to sick. That's like if I if I say, uh, "Yo, don't forget the cue that I just that I gave you before the first set." I yeah. can't say you to a soccer player, but I can say but, it to a basketball. Right. Player. Okay. Gotcha. Like keep that. going. Keep going. Yeah. So it's not not just the English and the and the German, but it's also like how I have to interact with them. It's like, for example, a basketball player. You you gonna dap him up like this. And football, uh, soccer players, you just go go like this, and you just release their hand. And it's super awkward when you meet them at first, but it's like you just gotta adapt to the to the athlete. And it's really it's hilarious in Austria. Honestly, Cole, I know you asked the question. You said you're gonna chill out, but I'm. You probably have the most experience being in different cultures, and you know what I mean, like the socioeconomic socio-cultural differences there like what would have been your experiences there yeah i mean i think 
I struggle with this one because like a lot of the best players that I work with are dickheads who probably can't like interact with other people well um, from like a when you first look at it, you know what I'm saying? Like, you know, a lot of players that we work with were like, yeah, if they went to another crowd and another sport, they wouldn't feel at home. So it's like, are they really reaping the benefit from it? But I truly do believe that like, I don't know whether it's growing up in like the DC area where like, it's a very mixed community where like you got dudes from the hood playing with like the richest communities. You got like, you know, everyone plays multiple sports. And I think everyone growing up there learns to adapt to different, different uh culture so i think it may be something where it's bigger than basketball like will it help us as a basketball player i don't know i think it may help you adapt to like a new program like if you're you know a a high school player who has played multiple sports you've been in multiple team cultures then the college that you go to is probably it doesn't need to be the perfect fit because you're moldable like you're malleable to that environment um which i think obviously can affect performance so does it like help you from directly from a direct standpoint become a better athlete? Maybe not, but I do think it helps you uh, adapt to situations better and teams better, um, which ultimately will put you in a better position to to showcase your talent, talents best. So I do think like you know when I've worked with the higher level players, NBA guys, or or you know good players internationally who have had longevity like they know how to interact with people they know how to be a professional they know how to come in and speak to like different types of people and i think there is some value in that and obviously not obviously playing sports or or a wide variety of sports isn't the only way to develop that but i do think that's just an added benefit to uh continuing to kind of widen the the sample size of the uh, sports that you're playing, but it's definitely an interesting conversation. I don't really know what the implications are. Something to think about. No, it's, it's funny you mentioned that because I just wanted to touch on this real quick. As I feel like as you get higher and higher, like you want to play a college level, you want to play pro. It's more about the fit on the team and the environment yeah. more yeah. than anything. So like you could be the best player at the high school level because like you're just the best player on the high school level. But if you really want to, unless you know, you're an outlier and you're a f- first round draft pick, you're probably going to be the man wherever you go. But if you're not that kind of guy, you're going to have to fit a role within the environment and the team that you're on. So <clears throat> I think that getting around different cultures and like you said, different people, whether that's different sports or if it's just like the same sport, maybe in a different area or a different country or something else, you're going to have to fit your role because those people don't know you. They play basketball a different type of way doing different things. So I think that that's definitely maybe it's a general transfer or maybe it's, you know what I mean? Like, I think that definitely plays yeah. a role though, because in college, like you, again, you might be all, all American in your state, like not to downplay Maine, but like an all American in Maine who does a little bit of everything might go to like New York and play at the division one level. And like, now they're just a spot up shooter because right. you know what I mean? Something like that. So it's like understanding that you're gonna have to fit in and how do you deal with that? Because you might not like that, but yeah. if you've been in positions where you've had to fit in with different people, different cultures, you were already prepared for that. So I, no, I like sure. that point. Yeah. And I want to kind of open up the table to you guys. I was listening to a podcast this morning. I think I sent it to you guys. It's about like, it's essentially called the 6D model of like uh, classifying different cultures within like countries. And obviously all of us are from different places, either within the U S or internationally. Um, 
So I want to like maybe quickly we can go through and all talk a little about a little bit about like the basketball culture in our area. Um, Cause like, for example, I've been um, to Vienna to see kind of what the basketball culture is like granted only for two days, but obviously I've been to San Diego. I haven't been to Maine. Um, I've been, you know, essentially Danny on the East coast. Um, and then Martin, we've talked a lot about basketball culture there and it's crazy how different they all are. And I think it produces different styles of players. Like an American coming to South America or to the FIBA game will probably not fit in as well, like you said, TC, to that style of game. Um, so I'm interested in in kind of like what the basketball cultures are like in each of you guys' areas and then how those can kind of clash or potentially work together. So any notable things from or that you guys think would be different from, you know, the states or another part of the states. Yeah. Up. Yeah, uh, I'll go first. Um, so me, I'm from San Diego, um, in California, and pretty much all of California. But from what I've seen, is like we're super skilled. We can shoot it, but we're we're not very physical. We're kind of soft. We have this like too cool shit. Like we we try to act like you know we're the shit. You know we walk around like we're the shit. Like the way that we communicate with each other, we're kind of just like whatever. Like what's up, man? Like you know we don't really communicate with each other, um, and. I mean, I haven't been, you know, I mean, I've been to like, you know, some like Arizona, some bordering states, you know, Oregon, um, Miami a little bit. And it's a little bit different. You know, I don't necessarily see that like too cool. Like it is there a little bit, but it's not as much as it is over here. Um, other places, it's a lot more physical. Like I feel like I'll, I've all, I've, out of all the states I've been to, California is probably like the least physical, kind of softest. Um, I don't say we're like super soft, but I'm just saying, you know, not as physical and stuff, you know, but uh yeah, that's what I would say, you know, for, for us out here. I'm interested to hear Dario or, or Martin talk about that too. Here, um, depends, you know. Uh, for example, Uruguay and Argentina, uh, we play similar. Uh, we use a lot of uh, tactical game. Uh a lot of ball circulation, player circulation. Um, I'm trying to to get advantage from that. Uh, but for example, if you go to Venezuela, uh, it, this it's a more physical game. Like like Gabe said, um, it's a more physical game, uh, more isolation game. So for example, uh, I train a, a player that he he he's a really good player here, but he had the chance to go to Venezuela and. He uh, he couldn't make it. Like he was there for like one month, but the game was not for him. Like um, he's a more like a cerebral point guard, if you say. Like uh, he controls more the game. Uh, he plays at a slower pace, uh, so he um, couldn't adapt to 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 that environment. You know, I mean. Uh, Maybe if, if he had more more time there, maybe he could adapt because he's he's a good player. But uh, he noticed, you know, the difference on the game. Like the game is faster, the game is more physical. There there is more isolation uh, in each play. Um, and here, for example, in Uruguay, it's not like that. Um, it's kind of different game, you know. Um, for me personally, like. Obviously, I'm from Europe, and I think Europe is known for uh, team ball. So, 
any team that you go to. Um, if you're not that guy and you're not the absolute number one option, then you're going to fit into the system and you're not going to have that green light. It's only like most of the times it's like one player or two players who have a absolute green light. They can do whatever and they won't get benched for not running a play when they dribble down the court. Um, apart from that, you know, even though it's team ball, it's like a pretty physical game, the European game, especially in Austria, uh, where they people uh, most of the teams bet on their bigs. And if, for example, here, Austria First League, if you don't have a solid big to play with, then your team is not going to be too good because the other bigs are just going to eat the whole team. Um, like if you get dominated on the boards, there's a little chance of winning here in Austria. For example, uh, there's a there's three players that are coached um, and they, they play second league. And la last three years, their team has been absolute bottom of the league. And then this off last offseason, they add two bigs and all of a sudden they're the first in, in their conference. Um, yeah, you know, but the Austrian game handles aren't too fancy. It's only like when a, when you got a kid that is really talented, probably uh, a light skin or black, they will have a crazy handle. Um, but yeah, it's most of the time the point guards are pass first. And if you want to make it, then you got to leave Austria like right away. Like you go, let it. That's, that's the only advantage you have. You can play your whole youth here until 19 and under. And then you play one year of pro in the first league, gain some good experience, and then go right to college. Or some other country, first league. Yeah. Yeah, so so, with, ahead, so with me, I, I actually don't... Uh, I spend a lot of time in Israel. I, I, go, I go to Israel pretty much every summer. Yeah, use um, that. Use that one. That's a good one. Yeah, yeah. I wasn't gonna. I wasn't gonna talk about Boston. Like, I, I'm gonna be honest. Like, Boston is not like. I don't have anything special to say. Anyway, um, Israel is very physical. Very physical, and um, I was shocked. Like the first time I really started to play pickup over there, like when I was still in high school. I was just shocked by how physical it was. Um, one, because um, I, I feel like America is is not it is is definitely a, a softer game on average. Um, and two, I was I was very frail, uh, basically just a spot up shooter. Um, so if I did, you know, if I did want to attack the closeout or something like that, I would get bumped off my line so easily. And I, it really tested me mentally more than anything else. Um, because I would get pissed at people, um, for, you know, for thinking they're fouling me granted, they may have been, but you know, it's pickup. You gotta, you gotta just deal with it, you know? And I was, I was immature and, um, so yeah, Israel is a very very physical game, um, but it's also like the the game is the game is really really growing over there. It's it's technically in Europe, so they, um, you know, one of the one of the teams over there, Maccabi Tel Aviv, they're in the Euro League, so I think the they they have an influence on the rest of the country um, in terms of um, moving the ball around. 
playing more of a, a tactical game, uh, like Martin mentioned. Um, so it's a good, it's going to become a good balance of physicality and um, skill and, t- and tactics. I think here um, you got to learn more like uh, uh, relationship skills, like how you interact with, with your players, you know, the timing, the sequencing, you know, coming off a, a screen and pass the ball on time, uh, create advantage from that, you know. Um, yeah, and I think that's, that's uh, a big skill to learn here. To, to be successful, to be successful, you know? For sure. It's it's funny. I'm not even, I mean, I could speak on Maine, I guess. <laughs> um, Do it quick. Got to have it. Uh, New Hampshire, I played in New Hampshire and I played in Maine now. It's, I mean, it's not much different than like, I mean, obviously America has different subsets and subcultures within basketball and whatnot, but it's like, in general, I think New Hampshire and Maine are probably a little bit behind the eight ball with basketball. I think that we're still kind of in this old school, haven't really advanced um, philosophies and whatnot. So we're probably a little bit less athletic than a lot of states and it's more tactical, but it's still old school. So that's pretty much all I got to say about Maine and New Hampshire. Um, But what I was going to say is it's interesting whenever you look at like ecological dynamics and kind of like this fitting into a role, like different, like you were saying, Danny, like whenever you went to Israel, you were more of a spot up shooter because of the physicality didn't necessarily allow you to play how you probably wanted to play. Um, And if you go to different states, different cultures, like you kind of have to fit into the environment. You have to mold to this environment that, you're given so if you 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 are typically off the dribble you can slash you can get to the rim but you're just not physical enough to do that and take contact in the air you're gonna have to mold to the environment that you're in and that could be catch and shoot or whatnot so uh, that's just like an interesting um thought that i had as far as that goes yeah i mean i think to me there's a couple takeaways of hearing all that from you guys number one is like imagine if you take one player like one of us or one of our athletes and you put them into Israel, you put them into, you know, different parts of South America, like Martin, you brought up a, a few different parts. You put them into like a Western European game or an Eastern European game where they are different. You put them into the East Coast U.S. game. You put them into San Diego or L.A. Like they're literally going to have to be a different player in every single place. And I think a lot of why I'm big on general transfer is because we need a certain level of general transfer to be able to build a foundation to where now we can be more malleable rather than building like, you know, the whole thing is like do train exactly what you're going to be doing in your role. It's like, what if your role changes? What if you go to a different high school? What if you go to a different pro team? What if you transfer schools? What if you have a new coach come in? Like, I think we, we limit the, the, you know, emphasis or, or encouragement of being a malleable, adaptable player to different roles. And I think it's one thing that's really opened my eyes is like just seeing how many different uh, basketball cultures there are. Um, like, for example, being from D.C., it's like it's a very cerebral game. Like we don't have the best athletes as like in North Carolina or even like L.A. or whatever. Um, but there are a lot of like middle class, wealthier parents there. Um, like PG County is the most uh, wealthy black county in the world. So you have a lot of very cerebral players who know how to play, who have been training for a while. 
Um, but then they go into a game where it's more ISO, and that's why you don't see as many NBA players from the DMV other than the KDs, the outliers. Um, so it's like, you know, and it's been opened my eyes to like to see how what am I really preparing this player for? Like most NBA players, I saw a tweet, um, average 40 a game in high school, and now they're one to two dribble pull-ups, three-pointers, right? Like they're having to adapt to this. Um, you know, when they go play in FIBA ball, now they're having to adapt to a different style of play. So I think the importance to me um, is twofold. Number one is realizing that like we don't want to build a specific type of player necessarily unless you're an NBA player, especially all-star or player of that higher level where you already have a defined role that you know or you're pretty confident is going to be your role for the next 10 years and you can kind of be comfortable in. Um, so kind of building players to be more malleable for more situations. Um, and then number two is like, I think it's cool just to see the parallel between like cultures and their basketball culture. Um, like, you know, the, the Austrian or German culture is more like cold and like physical. I don't know. Like when I think about it, I think of it more as like, oh, it makes sense that that'd be a physical basketball game versus like, you know, a span, you know, Western European cultures or Americans where we're, you know, we're a little bit soft sometimes. Um, more collectivist cultures share the ball a little bit more and play a little bit more cerebral. So I think it's cool to see that. And we have to keep that in mind when we realize where are players from. Like when we're, when we're training international players, like it, they're, they're literally thinking differently than we may be because they're from a different culture. They're from different social dynamics. So I don't know. I don't want to keep rambling, but I think it was cool to hear all of you guys like opinions on your, on your basketball cultures and then see um, kind of what we can extract from that in terms of how we train our athletes. Not for sure. I think that was honestly probably a good spot to end um, as far as like the bulk of the actual conversation here. Cause we only got like six minutes of this one left. So I don't want to go over everybody else's time. Um, I was thinking we could probably do a quick speed round, like five minutes. People can chime in when they want, or if we want to go down the line, everybody can answer. It doesn't really matter. Um, we should do like one sentence for everyone. Yeah, let's do it. I got All the right. first question. Is, is, is Kyrie and Luca going to work? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I think they're winning it all. I don't no. think they're going to work. I don't I think know. they're going to work. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Define work, but I think... Are they going to win? No, they're not. No. Not win at all, but are they going to win relative to their expectations? I don't think so. I don't I don't but, know but, what my expectations are. What are the pros or and the cons? The, the, the positive and the negative of Kyrie going to, to Dallas Mavericks? I think he's going to take a lot of the stress off stress off of Luca's back, but I also think Luca is a very ball dominant player that it may create kind of a weird clash there. But I don't know. Yeah, I, don't know only, I go ahead, Dario. The only way I see this failing is if it becomes like a kind of a my turn, your turn. Exactly. Thing. Yeah, I, I don't know. I feel like obviously I, I don't know shit about. NBA coaching and whatnot, but I feel like for Luca to be successful, you need like 
I don't know, like a dominant big, whether that's a center or a four, and then shooters. You know what I mean? Like, I don't, I don't, I don't think that Kyrie's. I, I don't know. Maybe it works. I, I don't feel like yeah. it's gonna work though. <clears throat> because, um, like Kyrie, uh, he makes uh like advantages with the ball, mm-hmm. like he needs the ball, and I don't know, like. It's like Dario say, I if they go like my turn, your turn, I don't know, it's gonna it's gonna work. And I don't know, like when Luca has the ball, like what Kyrie uh could do, you know, um or could you know affect the, the offensive to create uh to help Luca create advantages. Um yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I think defensively too, when you have your one and essentially two most likely effectively, who are very ball dominant guys who don't want to waste their time and effort on defense. Like imagine them playing the Warriors, you know, Clay still power, Steph, obviously Steph, like what's what's gonna happen there defensively for the Mavs? I don't know. Doesn't... And they just they had yeah. to give up Dorian Finney Smith, who's one of their better defenders. Right. And, and then what he and then what he's a pretty good defender as well. Solid. So right. And uh, yeah, I, I don't know. I feel like neither one of them are like good enough off ball or catch and shoot. Like right. I, I don't know. We'll we'll see though, I guess. What yeah. <laughs> one one real quick thing though. They solved one particular problem though. The way you beat the Mavs up until now is by doubling the shit out of Luca and yeah, making the for sure. and now that now you got Kyrie among the others. Yeah. So that's going to be tough to guard. Yeah, I agree. Now, I, as much as I'm being pessimistic right now, I am interested to see how they work. But yeah, uh, it'll be fun. I, yeah. All right. Big, big question, though. We've talked about it in the chat. King of the Hill, who who wins? Who who takes home the win out of, out of this six right here? Bro. Oh, <laughs> You're not trying to go there, bro. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna be pulling out. I'm gonna be pulling out moves you've never seen, but bro, bro, this needs to happen. That's the only. That's the only way we'll really find out. But that shit goes on YouTube big time, bro. (laughs) Oh, it's going on everybody's page. We'll see, man. I mean, if if you guys don't say yourselves, then obviously you're doing something wrong. But I'm I'm gonna say me, just because I don't need to say much, honestly. (laughs) <laughs> what the play is talking dude's kicked back said, I don't need to say much oh, good. All, I know is, all I know is Gabe is pretty quiet over there so we know who's gonna lose yeah nah I told y'all <laughs> man I only got ones but look 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 if we play threes man, nah man, threes would be a difference even, even, even twos would be fun yeah I mean, hey, me and Coleman me and Coleman run twos Oh yeah, we got we, we yeah. Gabe and I were out there running plays at a at a pickup an outdoor pickup game, running like yeah, nah. Spanish screens and shit. <laughs> Pretty fun. Yeah, not even at your gym we was cooking. cooking oh yeah, for sure. Just like six or seven nah. straight. No, nah, when right. you try it, when you try and like instruct people to run plays on the spot, it's hilarious, bro. Oh yeah, I, nah. I try to do that in pickup. I'm like, all right, nah. like. I like set up this flex action action right quick. I'm gonna screen you, then I'm gonna come off this. <laughs> um, I would I would probably smack you, Danny, if you tried to do that. And I and I didn't know you. If I, 
you know, if I know you and I know that you're you know, a good basketball mind, then I'll respect it. But I would probably smack somebody if they did that randomly. Gabe, and I, it was like literally just me, Gabe, and uh, and Cam who were running like Spanish screens and like different shit, and you know, worked here and there. Worked here and there. I I, I bet it worked. <clears throat> shit, I think that's that's really all we got time for though. But this this was dope. I'm hyped that we all were able to somehow manage to get on here at the same time. Mind you, everybody that's listening. The time zones in this chat right now are ridiculous. Uh, so I don't know how this worked, but I'm hyped that it did. Yes, sir. Well, <laughs> appreciate you, Keith.